Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Gary House podcast with myself, Gary House. This is episode one of my brand new podcast. Those of you that have listened to my old podcast, the Run Strong podcast, which has been finished for a good few years now, I think it's had a three-year hiatus. <laughs> I apologize if you are wanting more. I know some of you actually still listen to those ones. So I thought it's a good time to bring my podcast back, but start afresh. It is the Gary House podcast, and it is my plan to bring to you some interesting conversations with people that I already know in the running world or that I just find interesting and we're not going to be limited to running either. So over the years, I've learned quite a lot about social media and business and it's my plan to share that with you too. Today's podcast hasn't got any of those interesting people on it at all, unfortunately. It's just me. <laughs> As social media has grown over the uh, last few years, I guess, but topping out with quite a few on Instagram right now. I just thought it's best to be able to direct people to a place that they can hear my story, I guess, and how we've got to this place. Nothing too dramatic, but I'm, I'm aware that sometimes people come to my social media and uh, this and not have any context with why I'm a coach, how I've become a coach, am I even a runner, that kind of thing. The place is so, I guess swamped with runners and coaches these days this is just going to be a place where I can tell my story very quickly and if you've heard it before I would recommend you skip this episode but we're going to go back to the first time that I actually remember running in any kind of uh, way in such of a race and that was primary school actually so nine or ten years old I remember being in the mini marathon and then, uh, don't worry about this, by the way, it's not going to be an hour long about my life. <laughs> it's just a bit of context. But yeah, we, it, we go back to the mini marathon in primary school. And in my last year of primary school, I was the only boy. So that means um, there was me and six or seven other girls. There was another lad in that class, but I think he left early. I can't even remember why now. What that meant is that I was clearing up on sports day. So it gave me a false sense of my potential, I guess. I won quite a few of the races, the mini marathon. I even had a plan for the mini marathon where some of my friends in the year below 
had to kind of run across <laughs> and get in the way of any potential winners. They didn't do that, but the fact that I even thought about planning that back then is a bit, um, yeah, I guess it tells the story that was to come a bit competitive in that in that way. Obviously, when you go to high school, genetics play much more of a part. I wasn't too big. I wasn't kind of developing <laughs> as quick as some of the other boys, I guess, playing football with lads with beards at the age of 13, 14, when, um, yeah, I'm still waiting for puberty to knock on the door, meant that I was just a little bit behind. But I loved football. I didn't love running as much. But what tends to happen is all the kind of lads that were great at football weren't too bothered about um, the cross country. And that meant I could sneak in there in the top three, usually get a day off school, go to the county kind of championships, maybe squeeze in there. So it, it was more to just get the odd day off at school at first. I guess I did have a medium amount of talent at running or just that I was better at running than I was at football because the, the football team was great, if I'm honest. There was lots of good players being scouted for Premier League clubs, even internationals, and we won the Welsh Cup twice, I think. Definitely once. I've got a picture of us winning it once, but I was always on the fringe. I was either playing like left-back or maybe a substitute and getting on for the last 10 minutes. Um, high school, that was about the extent of my running, to be honest. Didn't take it too seriously. And then I left running alone completely while I focused on football um, as a team sport. In my teenage years, early 20s, I would play, train a couple of times a week with the lads, play Saturday league, play Sunday league. I just loved everything about football, more so the social side, I guess. But I, I just loved the competitiveness about it. I loved being in the mud. I loved, I loved tackling. I loved getting in the faces of other teams, all that kind of stuff. Um, yes, but again, I was a bang average footballer in a team that had some talented players, really, and we did quite well. Then in my early 20s, through work, I moved to Manchester. So from a small town, I guess, in North Wales, I moved to Manchester. I just wanted a change of scenery and something new. It, it was a decision I took in about a week, I think. I had about 10 days to find somewhere to stay, um, to go and live in a professional house, five, five other professionals that all had good jobs. I was in a new job. I was a bit lost, if I'm honest. I didn't have any money outside of paying my rent and a bit of food. Couldn't, I wasn't eating properly. Didn't have any friends really in Manchester, although I was meeting some new ones. Obviously didn't have a football team to join and to play with every week. So I started running down the canal pretty much daily, if I'm honest. I, I'd always been a member of the gym, played all lots of different sports, but just didn't have access to it in Manchester quite. And it, kind of hit me quite hard in the fact that I didn't have that group of friends to play tennis with or just kick a ball around with. So running was just the obvious option, really. I used to wear my five-a-side trainers and run down the canal. And I guess like most people that go to running in their early 20s or 30s or 40s, it was a struggle. <laughs> I put my, put my five-a-side trainers on and my Sunday league kit, ran down the canal, and I remember... It was a hot day in Manchester and just had to sit on a bench within five minutes. And I'll never forget just a, an old guy in his short shorts running past me on the canal like it was 
like it was a breeze. He was just running <laughs> with his dog, uh, said hello, good morning, while I was a big sweaty mess on the bench. Uh, it didn't put me off, though, whether it was more the fact that I was just running to escape out of the house because I didn't know these like new people yet and I was trying to avoid <laughs> just any kind of interaction with them. I don't know, but I did enjoy the fact that when I got back, I was like sweaty and I'd put a lot of effort in, different to football because like for the last few years of the football, I've probably hung over for most of them on a, on a Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning. Whereas going out purposely for a run without a watch, without any music or anything like that, and just seeing the progress that I could make on my own, um, that's what spurred me on, really. So that was the start of my running journey. It was a case of I would look at the clock at the bottom of the stairs of the house that I was staying in and then, uh, yeah, look at the clock when I made it back. And at first I was just trying to go a, a little bit longer every time. Then I was trying to go a little bit faster if I needed to get to work quicker. I would leave a little bit later, that kind of thing. So, yeah, there was the structure to my training was based around time and effort way back when. I didn't have heart rate monitors. Or I think they were just coming in. But then we're talking quite a while ago, probably 16 to 18 years ago now when I started out. So I'm 39 and I think I was in Manchester early 20s to give you some kind of idea of the time scale. Wasn't interested in races, didn't really know about races, if I'm honest. It was just, like I say, keeping fit. I started to lose a bit of weight. So I guess it was just what you would call, I mean, if you've seen me on social media or you see me at races, I guess you would call me slim. <laughs> yeah, I've been called all sorts, thin and skinny and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't bother me at all. But yeah, your body type, I guess, does play a part with the running. So when I was going out drinking every weekend and eating rubbish, even though I was thin and skinny, I didn't have any body shape, didn't have any real strength. But when I started running, the first thing I noticed is that my arse disappeared. <laughs> so I remember going to the doctors. I was self-aware enough to know that I shouldn't be dropping all this weight, but I didn't know anything about calories. Or I didn't know anything about your macronutrients. I didn't know anything about how much I should, what I should be fueling with, anything like that. Yeah, so my arse disappeared. I went to the local GP and I said, I'm a bit worried about my kind of rapid weight loss, even though I was only about nine and a half stone at the time anyway. And again, that was another, I guess, a, a turning point or a pivotal point, but didn't know it at the time. The doctor, the GP, GPs are obviously great for lots of reasons, but the advice I got wasn't great. He just said to, if you want to be healthy, then eat more nuts and pulses. That was about the extent of the advice. So, uh, yeah, I ended up just buying books and educating myself on why I was dropping weight. And obviously now with social media and YouTube and lots of this information available, I guess it's a little bit easier to understand that if I start running more and eating less, <laughs> then I'm going to drop weight, even though I was, wasn't was kind of overweight at the time anyway. Yeah, so that seemed to sort itself out. I just had a basic understanding that I have to eat more. Still didn't really understand calories or calories in and out and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, my nickname in the shared house was just Gary Tuna at one point because all I could really afford was dried pasta and tin tuna with tomatoes chucked on top. <laughs> that was my lunch and tea for 
yeah, God, weeks and weeks while I was there. So Gary Tuna became a thing in Manchester. <laughs> um, when I entered my first race, again, I wasn't interested in racing, but I had met a girl on a night out. It was a friend's birthday back in Chester, which is near where I used to live. So we're all on a night out. I met this girl briefly and um, yeah, she obviously took a shine to me, which is natural, but <laughs> we obviously hit it off and uh, yeah, went on a few dates, I think back. Yeah. Cause at the time she was living in Leicester and I was living in Manchester, but we'd met in Chester. So it was all over the place really. And I, um, yeah, I entered Leicester half marathon with the sole goal really to, well, there was two goals. I wanted to impress this new girl that I had been dating. And um, I also thought that if I run the Leicester half marathon living in Manchester, hopefully she's just going to say stay over for the night or the weekend. <laughs> so very creepy, I know. But I feel like I, I always feel like I can get away with saying this story by the fact that we are still <laughs> together. We're married with two kids all that time on. So although it didn't impress her, or I'm sure it didn't impress her, I couldn't hardly walk back to the bus that we had to get back to her to her house in Leicester. Yeah, it was not a great uh, performance, put it that way. It did mean that we got to spend more time together. I spent the weekend in Leicester, had a had a great weekend, and yeah, that was that was it really. So yeah, maybe we will ask her one day if I if she was impressed <laughs> enough to uh, stick around. So yeah, that was. That's kind of my creepy origin story. I don't think I'd get away with it these days. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a good thing. But it is a happy ending to the story, I think, in terms of both my running and uh, and and obviously <laughs> being married with kids. Uh, like I say, last half marathon wasn't great. I remember all the old guys beating me in their short shorts, finished with my lace untied, chafed to hell. I still had my Sunday league shorts on, I think. And uh, yeah, just didn't go great, but I was hooked and I started learning about technique and movement and buying all the books that I could and all the runner's worlds that I could. And I was absorbing any information I could really. I vowed to make myself better. I wasn't kind of, didn't have any lofty goals or anything like that. I just wanted to be better than I was last time. And yeah, there was a lot less races in terms of trail racing then and mountain races it was either local 10Ks or half marathons, maybe the odd trail race available or fell racing, and obviously. Uh, but yeah, I chose the next race to be Edinburgh Marathon. I put a good training block together for that. And again, yeah, that didn't go great. But I mean, I think I was around three hours 20 for my first marathon. So it's, it's all relative, isn't it, these days? And lots of you will obviously think that that's a great time and some of you won't think that that's a great time but for my first marathon I was chuffed with with that and just the whole fact that you got to go and visit somewhere else uh, have a night out have some beers afterwards eat good food make all the mistakes that you make in your first marathon and and yeah like marathon running still is the toughest form of running I think more so for the training involved especially the whole idea of most people's marathons is to get a PB. So you start talking finer margins the faster you get. So I still think it's one of the toughest and most, I guess, fruitful forms of training. 
Uh, I went back to Edinburgh Marathon. Uh, then we, uh, with with a close friend, Craig, who's no, no longer with us, actually. But uh, yeah, they're really good memories of going to that for a second time and seeing Craig do his first marathon. He went on to do triathlons and ultras, and I helped out with coaching. So great memories um, back doing that, really. I've forgotten a lot of races, but I do remember the ones <laughs> that usually either didn't go too well or... Yeah, just uh, had great times around that actual place. Never mind, forget the times. I ran my first ultra marathon within 12 months, maybe 18 months, and that was the London to Brighton ultra marathon. Those of you that are old enough to remember it, because it no longer runs, but that was it was just one of the most kind of I guess well-established races, ultra marathons on the calendar, and you had to find your way in via. I think it was still a postal entry form there was I, I was in some weird forum of ultra marathon runners on the internet facebook wasn't really one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today thing even then or it might have been just but yeah you definitely had to hunt out these races so London to Brighton 53 miles I think or maybe 56 someone will correct me just seemed like the next logical step because I'd done all the I'd done the marathon thing I'd read Dean Carnes's book um <laughs> I was looking at technique and movement and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, oh, I can run longer and I'm going to be an ultra runner. And then I'll, I'll never forget, maybe two weeks or a week out, I got sent the, the map book <laughs> for the ultra marathon. Yeah, the map book. It was, I, I think if it was a 56-mile race, I think it had 56 pages detailing uh, of detailed OS map. <laughs> there was no GPX files and stuff back then. Um, not that I knew of anyway. I, I don't even know if I had a watch. But getting this book through the post was scary. I was That was the first time I'd been scared. I wasn't scared of the distance until I saw that map book. It was pure naivety why I wasn't scared of the distance. I hadn't, again, because I wasn't really tracking my running. I was just running for hours <laughs> out on the canals or the hills back at this time. Uh, <laughs> not too structured so I turned up in London on the start line and uh, it was pitch black obviously early start and just thought I would I thought I would be okay with the navigation not what gave me that idea I don't know but yeah after page one of the map I was pretty lost leaving London and I was (laughs) lucky enough to just kind of run in between groups of people that knew what they they were doing and I would run with this big map book out like with my thumb on the page that I thought we were on and when they would discuss which way to go 
I would be kind of nodding or just going along with it, trying to fake it until I made it. And that was the tale of the day, really. I went out way too fast, got lost, then tried to play catch up. I kicked a route jumping over style. Like I'm in a 56 mile race. Why am I jumping over styles? So kicked and then just instantly felt pain. And uh, yeah, my, my foot, my trainer filled with blood from that point. The toenail was off. Didn't know any of this until I finished, but like what an adventure. Just I met, remember catching up with uh, two army lads really and they were basically navigating off the sun so that was me I settled in <laughs> stuck with them and they were kind enough to let me tag on to them for the rest of the race I think I finished about top 70 god knows how long it took me looking back at the results there was people like uh, Robbie Britton and stuff in the race that I've gone on to be friends with and yeah look up to those kind of lads that were running the races at the time now it's it's great that I can call them friends I guess or at least like <laughs> peers in the coaching world. And uh, yeah, so London to Brighton was my first ultramarathon. Top 70, maybe out of, I don't know, 100, 120. Nothing to give me any ideas that I would ever do well at this sport. But I just wanted to do better. Like I say, keep getting better. Round about that time, uh, I had heard about a 24-hour run, the Adidas Thunder Run, which... Uh, Sadly, it's just, I think it's just finished. I don't know if it's going to come back, but it's a 24-hour run on a 10K loop cross-country. And that was, I did that one for charity. I obviously wanted to do it, but I did it for a local animal charity. And um, I think I needed that just to, again, to give me the accountability to make sure that I went and did this 24-hour race. Because, again, I went from marathon to 56 miles to 24 hours had no target really other than to keep moving for as long as I could and uh, yeah by then Charlotte was coming along with me to all these races she was my support crew we were pr pretty naive again we put the tent <laughs> the tent was probably about a mile away from the start finish when it was meant to be in the little solo area but we put it so far away there was no way I was going to that tent every time I needed food or a cup of tea so she managed to park the car. <laughs> she pulled up literally by the start finish line. And I would run, get in the car for a cup of tea or something. Then she would kick me out. So she stayed up for the whole of the 24 hours as well, minus the odd power nap maybe. And I was hallucinating. There was dogs crossing me. and I, But the, the fact that nobody had really told me that I could stop, stopping wasn't really an option. Like I, it was again, twenty-four hour races weren't really big on the calendar. I didn't really have any information to go off, as in how far I should be going. I told Charlotte not to tell me how far I'd even gone, or how many laps I'd done, or where I was on the on the um, scoreboard until the morning. Until the morning, about six a.m., and it finished at twelve p.m. And she and she said, Are "You sure you don't want to know?" And I found out. I think that was eighth. So I pushed on and managed to get seventh and finishing seventh in a 24 hour. I think it was seventh anyway, meant, oh, obviously I'm better at this than running 10 Ks. I mean, I was completely out of it at the end of that race. I remember getting in the tent and feeling instantly like something is wrong. I think I'd lost nearly a stone over the 24 hours. Again, naivety and not knowing how to fuel, 
but I was young enough and dumb enough just to keep moving through the night. I listened to the whole of Lance Armstrong's book, I remember, before before we all knew <laughs> when he was when he was the inspiring um Lance Armstrong. So I just remember reading listening to that book on audiobook with this massive player strapped to me <laughs> like a big iPod. But yeah, it was just amazing. Finishing a twenty four hour race, I'd covered ninety four miles. And um that was it. I was hooked on the ultramarathons and I went on to do Stuff like Equinox, 24 hours, did that four times, finished second twice and was lucky enough to win it twice in my four goes at that. I did Liverpool to Leeds, Canal Race, 135 miles in under 24 hours. Um, I was also DNFing a couple of times. I tried the Grand Union Canal Race after that, thinking I would do okay. Um, Yeah, I did that race. I'd finished second in the Liverpool to Leeds race to Paddy Robbins, a famous British ultra runner. For those of you that are old enough to go back that amount of time, I think I finished second to Paddy. I think he, he was about two hours, three hours ahead of me when I'd run 23 and a half hours for 135 miles. So that was, that was an amazing run, but I was just, I was still buzzing every result that I got, whether it was a second at a local 10 K on the, on the trail or second at that 24 hour race. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> going into the grand union canal race, that was the first time I thought I'm going to try and race it. Or I had, I had aspirations to kind of do okay in it. And, um, what I had also done is read some articles on about how to be fat adapted and how I should be <laughs> fueling myself with nuts and seeds and, all this shit in hindsight, basically, because I ran the first about 50 miles of the Grand Union Canal just eating nuts, seeds and cheese. And uh, yeah, up until that point, I'd used gels and stuff sporadically. So still no real kind of method to my fueling, but at least I was fueling with gels and like jam sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. So basically, I'd gone from having carbohydrate as my fuel source to switching to <laughs> fat uh, in a 145-mile race for the first time. I think I was in third place within 50 miles, feeling good, actually, felt full of energy. The sun came up a little bit more, got a little bit hot, and all of a sudden I started thinking, oh, I could... Um, I saw a little tuck shop on the side of the canal, and <laughs> I bought two cans of Coke, a Mars bar, necked them, had an ice cream, tried to get going again. And within half a mile, I was in the bushes of someone's garden throwing up, <laughs> curled up in a ball. And uh, again, that was that was an experience, but it taught me that I shouldn't just read something and apply it. I should look a bit further. I should at least test things in training. And from that point is when I really knuckled down in learning more about running and nutrition and training and strength and all that kind of stuff. And that's what led me into working into gyms as a personal trainer at first, but then more running based, I guess. I was just attracting runners. I was a nine stone ultra runner in a gym. So naturally marathon runners came to me. I took that business outdoors. I didn't really want to be in the gym and I didn't want to pay the 500 pound plus a month just to be in that gym when I could do that running technique and movement and strength outside. Grew that business. Those of you who know, I was the original Run Strong. 
And I say that quite confidently because I checked before I started. Now there's hundreds of them and that's not a good, that's not a bad thing at all. And But that is the reason why I changed to House Running Club about two years ago with the great Tim Marner branding. So yeah, um, that is my running journey pretty much in a nutshell. These days I've done races in France, Italy, lots of the big ones in the UK, lots of the local fell races all the way up to finishing the Dragon's Back twice. I've been on podiums, I've won races, I've DNF'd, I've finished middle of the pack, I've had awful races. Haven't had too many injuries, mainly impact ones. I've broken both my elbows, I've done my Achilles. But yeah, I've uh, remained pretty resilient, I guess, through the years, through the training. I've had great coaching, great mentors. And yeah, and the same goes with the business, if I'm honest. The um, personal training, like I say, went outdoors. Then it grew to across two locations. I had around 100 members locally before I ever took on an online client. And I wouldn't really call it an online client. I was just helping one person, a friend. Then five of the group that I was coaching uh, started coaching them. And it was just writing down their training on Word documents. But obviously then Word got out and I started charging people. And that became a big part of my business too. And I guess luckily, but it was also by design, like going through a few winters in North Wales, coaching people outdoors, just uh, was quite tough. So this opportunity to coach people online was was a good one. And yeah, back then there wasn't many people doing it really. I knew Robbie Britton was doing it and he seemed to be doing okay at it, but I, I still didn't really know how to be. I knew, I was confident that I could help people with the coaching part. I just didn't know how to go about the systems and processes. So yeah again i went down the rabbit hole of mentors with business and social media and that's why my own coaching group is set up a little bit different really i've never learned off another coach in running i've learned off coaches in um, other areas of life i guess and yeah it went pretty well to the point where it was running at about 50 50 uh, half the business was outdoor coaching which i loved i loved coaching the groups and the community side of things but I also loved being able to coach people from around the UK and now around the world before all the lockdowns happened and everything. Um, the business was moving more online, but that really kind of pushed it to fully online. And then I, um, yeah, so I don't coach in person anymore unless it's the odd workshop. Sometimes a running group might hire me for an afternoon or I do talks at various kind of events, if you name it, I've probably been there on podcast too. So yeah, it's been it's been a really good and fulfilling journey, both my running and my coaching. Speaking at events like Love Trails and headlining at the National Running Show and being on some of the best and most listened to podcasts that I listen to myself is all just a, it's just a bit of a pleasure, I guess. So now I'm starting my own one and that brings you up to speed, really. I'm not, <laughs> this sounds like I'm retiring or something, but no, we're just starting because I am now pretty much uh, a coach that does running on the side. I train very hard, I train daily, 
but I can't get out to races as much as I used to. I've got the kids to look after and I don't want to spend my weekends away from them all the time. I've got Charlotte that supports me. She has done from day one. She is now part of the business. She helps with the accountability side of things. And she is probably the reason why we're doing this because she's going to be putting this podcast out for you all. Uh, so I just have to speak to camera and interview the guests. So yeah, if you ever enjoy the podcast, you can thank Charlotte later. But <laughs> everyone that interacts with my stuff, whether it be on Instagram, whether it be on YouTube, on Strava, whether it be at races, like you're all playing a part, if I'm honest, and you've enabled me to coach and take this to the point where it is my career and support my family with it. So yes, I do act around on social media sometimes, but there is always a point to it. It comes from a good place. And yes, I thank every thank everyone to be part of it, really. So yes, anyway, that's enough for myself, but hopefully it gives you a small insight to how it all started. Um, where it's going to go. We've got some interesting people coming up, I hope. Any ideas, hit me with them and the usual methods. Hopefully you end up subscribing, downloading it, giving me reviews. But for now, yes, just enjoy the first guest, which I'm not sure who it's going to be, if I'm honest. I've recorded a few already. <laughs> and I've started out with one question uh, to kick off the interview each time. I don't know how long that will last, but it just it's a nice icebreaker. But if you have any ideas of where you want the podcast to go, yeah, please share them. Okay, that's enough for me. My name is Gary House, leader of the House Running Club, and you can get me on social media anytime if you have any questions. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 